You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Lord, humble us under your greatness. As men stand before mountains and are in awe of its magnitude and our small nature in light of it, do this for us before you. Oh, show us your greatness. Show us your greatness, Lord God, and show us how low we are and lift us up with eyes to see, with ears to hear all you are that we may rejoice in your greatness. Grant this unto us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. Please uh, join with me and open up your Bible to Psalm chapter 67. Uh, We are in Psalm chapter 67 today. Um, This time of year is always exciting for our church. September marks a new season and a new time for our ministries at Harvest Bible Chapel. There's a lot of preparation that goes into September. Uh, There's a lot of planning that goes into September. There's a lot of enthusiasm for all that's going to be happening in September. And uh, often we just want to enthusiastically jump into it. But today, uh, we are taking time to step back and to reflect. To reflect on our purpose as a church. The why, the how. Because if we have um, the zeal of enthusiasm without the knowledge of our purpose, uh, then we could jump into something, uh, kind of like a foolish soldier who jumps into the battle before the officer has said go. It's not going to end up good for that guy. Or like um, an overenthusiastic skydiver who doesn't wait for their instructor's uh, commands. Not going to end up good for that guy. So we need to look back. We need to stop. We need to reflect. Why church? And then how should we engage as the church? The why is actually pretty simple. Our purpose statement for the church, uh, for our church, I believe should, is part and parcel for the purpose of all churches. It says this, write it down if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Our purpose is glorifying God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Whether you eat or you drink, the Bible says, do all to the glory of God. The Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples of all nations. The Great Commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the why, it's pretty simple, but we need to get back to the why, simple as it is, because if we lose sight of the why, uh, we can drop out of the mission and our purpose sooner than we should. Like an athlete who holds that press conference and 
We don't know why, but all of a sudden, this star athlete retires. Not because they're injured, but because they say, I've just, I've just lost my passion. I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. We need to get back to the why, because if, if we get stuck in the how, it can be like that overzealous workaholic who just works and works and works and does and does and does, but they burn out because they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. We need to get back to the why and the how, because if you are a member of Harvest Bible Chapel, if you call this church your home, or if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have a stake in the claim of this purpose. You have a spot on this team. You have a role to play. I believe that God's word is going to teach us today that if we are going to accomplish our purpose, knowing the why, what is the how? If we are going to accomplish our purpose, then we need more of God. As we always do, please stand with me in honoring God as we read his word. Psalm 67, verse 1 to verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be made known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O Lord, indeed, we need more of you. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's true, Lord. We have no power. We have no capacity. There's nothing that we have that we didn't first receive. Forgive us for thinking we're capable of accomplishing spiritual acts as only wretched people. The Spirit gives life and the flesh is of no help at all. Oh Lord, we need your Spirit. We need your name. We need your word. We need your Son. We need you. So grant this unto us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we are going to be faithful and accomplish our purpose, we need more of God. Well, more of God, what? Well, get your eyes back in the book with me at verse 1. It says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This Psalm 67 is an adaption of a blessing in Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers chapter 6, God gave a blessing through the priest Aaron, and the writer of Psalm 67 saw that blessing and then changed the pronouns to make it into a personal prayer. If we will accomplish God's purpose, we need more of God. And this is the request. This is the prayer. If we will accomplish God's purpose, then we need more of God's presence. See, look at your Bible. Notice how it says in verse, uh, the second half of verse 1, make his face to shine upon us. God wants to graciously bless his people. And the gracious blessing of God is his shining face. In other passages of Scripture, there's a synonymous term used to describe the blessing. 
uh, his shining face, also his manifest presence dwelling with his people. The shining face, the manifest presence, both refer to one thing. The blessing that we need is more of the glory of God. What is glory? Write this down. Glory is the emanation of God's holiness. Listen to Isaiah 6 verse 3. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. As heat emanates from fire, so glory emanates from God. As light proceeds from fire, so glory proceeds from God. We can't see the face of God, but what we see is what emanates from him, his glory. Now, I learned a lot when I was studying this passage this week, and I believe you will too if you will be willing to be teachable and get yourself in a posture of being taught. So get yourself in that posture now and to help assist us to be taught about God's glory. I'm going to give you six words, six words that will help you understand more of God's glory. Here are the first three. Consider the magnificence of God's glory. We can't see the face of God. We see what emanates from him. But when we behold him, what do we see? We see his nature shining forth. His perfect righteousness, flawless and without stain. His justice against lawlessness. His mercy towards sinners. His patience, his kindness, his love, his grace. I love the way that Psalm 50 verse 2 describes this emanation. It says, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. It's magnificence. God's magnificence is the perfection of beauty, like a diamond, perfect in its cut, perfect in its carrot, perfect in its clarity, like a perfect diamond sparkles in many ways. The perfection of God is seen clearest in the face of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says that, As God said, let light shine out of darkness, so he has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. There is nothing comparable in beauty and perfection to the glory of God. It is magnificent. Here's your second word. Consider the importance of the glory of God. Consider the importance of God's glory to God himself. How important is God's glory to God himself? It is the thread that weaves together the entire plan of salvation. In the garden in Genesis, when everything is good and there was no stain of sin, humanity dwelt with the presence of God. But when we sinned, we were cast off from God's manifest presence. 
And the entire story of human history is progressing to that day when God's kingdom will come from heaven to earth. And what will happen on that day? It will be said in Revelation 21, Behold, when paradise finally returns, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Glory is God's manifest presence. It weaves together all of, its hum- all of human history. Glory is of preeminent importance to God, stretching back into eternity past, stretching forward into eternity future. Consider also its significance to us as the people of God. What is it that makes the church distinct? I've asked that question to many young people before, as I've gone across to many high school Christian fellowships in Markham. And the young people respond with good biblical uh, responses, but there's one thing they always miss. It's the thing that Moses noticed was distinct when he was on Mount Sinai before the presence of God. Moses said in Exodus 33 verse 14, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us that makes us distinct, I and your people, from every other nation on the face of the earth? It is so significant to the church, friends, that if we have it, we have everything. And if we lose it, we have nothing. God's glory, its manifest presence, his shining face, we need more of this. Well, let's think on that term shining face a little bit more. God, we can't see his face, but a lot of people uh, think that if we could, what would his, like, natural disposition be towards man? Because when you look at a face, you can see often that the expression of a face communicates the attitude of a heart. Um, And some people think that when they look at God, this is his natural disposition towards his people. Oh, this is the best I can do? Bottom 10%, come on. Missed the curve on that one. That's not God's natural disposition towards his people. But neither is this one, though, even though many consider it to be. It's okay. No, No matter what, it's okay. People are, people are taking my name in vain. It's okay. That's not, that's not it either. Uh, I, we can't see God's face. I don't know what his expression would be, but I know what it's like when I look at someone's face and they show me kindness. When I'm insecure and when I'm afraid, a kind face communicates to me, I can trust this person. They have my best interests in mind, and and they care for me. That is the disposition that God has towards his people. 
he has your best interests in mind. And often it means that he wants to take you from here where you're hurting yourself and take you to here where it's going to be for your good. Take you away from disobedience and into obedience of his word. But when we won't receive his kindness, when we won't receive his kindness, it sorrows God. We, we are precious in his sight, but he wants more from us, for us, than the sin that we choose. And it sorrows God if we won't receive it. And friends, if we persist, if we persist in habitual sin, knowing what God's word says, refusing to turn it, this is God's face towards us. Because he wants us to receive his blessing, but it angers him when we rebel against him. Be sure God hates sin. And if there is unconfessed sin in your heart, that you know God hates it. But if we will still not repent of our sin, even after we see his kindness and his sorrow and his anger, then this is what we will see. Nothing. Because God will bless his church. And if he's not blessing it here because we aren't receiving it, he's turning his face. And he's looking at someone else. If it depended on you, would God be turning his face from us or shining it upon us? Would he be dwelling with us or would he have been already departed from us? And be sure there is a time when God will leave his church. It might say church in front of the building. There might be a cross on the roof. But without God's glory, we're no different than a public library, a community center, or a coffee shop. God will turn his face from its church when it's led by worthless leaders. See, the first people that need to ask this question about is the leaders of the church. It's me. It's our elders. It's our staff. In the time of Samuel, two worthless men led the people of God. They abused their authority. They indulged in sin without restraint. They neglected God's word. They treated sincere worshipers with contempt. And God turned his face. But each of us have a stake in this claim. We all must ask this question. If it depended on you, would God be turning his face from us or shining it on us? Friends, God will not dwell with stubborn people. You know, you know why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after they left the Exodus? It wasn't because God didn't give them a GPS and they didn't know where they were going. It would have only taken a couple weeks to get from Egypt to the Promised Land. They wandered for 40 years because God wanted them to die. Because he refused to dwell with that generation. Because they saw his glory and they thought low of it. They heard his word and they tested God. God will not dwell in our church, in your life, nor in your family. If we are stubborn people, God will not dwell with us if we are self-righteous people. In the time of Isaiah, 
They inquired of the prophet, why isn't God listening to our prayers? Why isn't, we're fasting, we're praying. Why aren't you, why are you hiding your face from us? Isaiah told them why. He said, because in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. It's hypocritical. You're not doing it because you care about me. And I know this because if you cared about me, you wouldn't be oppressing your countrymen. And that's what they were doing. They came to God, look how holy we are, we love you. They turned away from God, and they hurt their brothers and sisters. God, forgive us if it would be said about harvest, what it was said about the church in Sardis in Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus said about the church in Sardis, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. God forbid that would be us. So then, if you feel the weight, if you feel the burden, who then will God shine his face upon? I've given you three words, but I said there would be six. Here are the next three. We will have more of God's presence when we are a church that is humble before God. Humility answers the question, who do I think is most significant? The Bible says that under the weight of God's glory, compared to that weight, we are dust on the scales. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, The Lord spoke saying, I dwell in the high and holy places and also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Why will God dwell with the contrite? Why will God dwell with the lowly? To revive the heart of the contrite. To revive the heart of the holy. Do you want that? Or are you content following your own selfish pleasures? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the God, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. Moreover, we will have more of God's presence when we are a church that is holy before God. Psalm 24 answers this question, who's going to dwell with God? Who will ascend into his holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from God. But friends, if you are content with unconfessed sin lingering in your heart, you may be in the church, but be content being distanced from God because he has turned his face from you. Moreover, though, we will have more of God's presence when we are hungry for God. Humble before God, holy before God, hungry for God. Matthew 5, Jesus gives us this promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Church, any discussion of God's glory and God's blessing must have this preempted before it. God wants to shine his face upon us. 
If we humble ourselves, if we are holy before God, if we hunger for him, he will come. As the spring rain that waters the earth, he will come and give life. Do you want it? If it depended on you, what would God be doing? But if you want it and you pursue these things, God will give it. He wants to bless us. Let us be a church that hungers for more, that is holy before God, that is humble before God. They are in his magnificent, significant, all-important presence will dwell with us, and we will know his power. Oh, we are starved for the power of God in the church. Our culture is starved for the power of God, but God wants to give it to us. How will we gain it? Look back at Psalm 67. Look at the book. Turn your eyes there with me. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. The request was more of God's presence. The reason is more of God's power. Church, glory is not only the emanation of God's holiness. It is also the mark that he is at work in your life. Like a friend that you haven't seen for months and all of a sudden they're in shape. You, you, you must have been in the gym. Like someone who came back from vacation to work and you see, you, you must have been in the sun. Have you been basking in the glory of God? When we behold his glory, we will be transformed by it. What will his power do? What will God's power do? It will take your aching heart that's dry like a desert and bring life to it like an oasis, like a rainforest. Where there was once restlessness, there will be peace. Where there was once unholiness and unrighteousness, there you will walk in righteousness before God. Where there was once joylessness, and selfishness, there will be joy and praise to the Lord. What gets us from the deserts to the oasis? The power of God. The glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The power of God is seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe for you, friends. You might not see God's work at hand at work in your life, but God's glory is at work. It's a humbling privilege to be able to stand and be able to open God's word with you. In the beginning of 2017, I got to stand and preach a, uh, a message on wisdom to you. And I was really glad that when I openly confessed the foolishness of my heart to the church, I, I truly felt that you responded in a way that was not judgmental towards me or did not look down towards me. When I preached the message about wisdom in, 
in the beginning of 2017, I, I said that the sins that cling so closely to my heart have been for over a decade laziness and gluttony, overeating, lacking self-control, oversleeping, lacking discipline. And honestly, after I shared that with you back in early 2017, not much changed. And I felt so dry even when I went to God's word. God convicted me in the spring that I was reading his word not to know him, but to store up more theology so that I could just go and preach it. I was making it about myself. But then the Lord just told me, just, do you remember what Jesus said? This is eternal life that they know me. Just come to me to know me like you would meet a friend to know your friend. And as God convicted me of that self-righteousness and I just learned to know God, he showed me that he knows me. It was seven weeks ago on a Saturday morning when my wife and I were reading Revelation together. And in each of the seven churches to Revelation, the Lord starts off with this. I know your works. And God broke me. I was crushed under the weight of thinking, I've been living in such lack of self-control and such lack of discipline for over a decade. I've been holding on to these things and loving these things even, and Jesus died for these things. And I was so crushed and so broken. And then seven weeks ago on that Saturday, I got a call at 3 p.m. because I had to preach that Saturday night. And I wasn't prepared to. Unexpectedly, I was asked to, and I pulled out Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Do you remember that message we considered together earlier in the summer? A pattern for change. After God broke me, I got to open the Bible, and if anyone needed that word the most that day, it was me. And in a day and a night, Everything that clings so closely to me for over a decade was finally loosened. And it does not satisfy, and I do not want to go back, and I have not been gratifying the desires of the flesh because I've been walking by the Spirit, and God has shown me His power, and He wants to do the same for you. The most loving thing your God can do is crush you in your stubbornness. And then he will build you back up through his gospel. He suffered for your sins so that you could be freed from your sins and have life abundant. Do you want it? This is the power for all, for Christians who need to be changed and for those curious about the faith who have not trusted in him. If you want eternal life, friend, there is one way to be forgiven. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you will be taken out of the desert and into the promised land, out of the dryness and into the oasis. Why do you spend your bread, your money for bread that cannot satisfy? Come and drink for the water that you will receive without payment.
Let's direct our eyes back to God's word. Psalm 67, 1 and 2, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on the earth your saving power among all nations. Notice how the object and the pronouns change. In verse 1, it's us. In verse 2, the earth, the nations. Be sure, church, God wants to show his power first through us, but then to the nations. We must not forget our distinction, for if we lose our distinction, we lose God's power. If we forget God's presence, we will forget God's power. We will forfeit God's power. Let's play a game of word association quickly, okay? I'm going to give you an acronym. Popular acronyms, you'll probably know most of them, if not all of them. And when I say the acronym, you respond back and tell me what it stands for, okay? First one's a gimme. Just hit this one right out of the power, okay? Softball. Um, CBC. Yeah, Canadian Broadcast Corporation. You can, you can say it out loud. It's okay. Here's the next one. Um, I had to look this one up. I didn't know it. Probably a sign of my birth year, but that's fine. Um, IBM. Right, International Business Machines. That's what they called computers a couple decades ago, business machines. I carry a business machine in my pocket now. <laughs> Okay, here's a third um, from my generation, maybe. MTV. Music television, someone said it loud. Most people don't know uh, the MTV stands. Well, actually, MTV used to stand for music television. In 2010, they actually changed their name. Well, it's still MTV, but they dropped the music television because they recognized we don't play music on our TV anymore. <laughs> Their purpose changed, so they, they distinction changed, so they changed their name. All right, one more. YMCA. Young Men's Christian Association, right? Yeah. But is it really? They don't even have the full acronym anymore. It's just the Y. They let go of their distinction. Church, if we forfeit our distinction, if we forget God's presence, we will forfeit God's power. We want to commit ourselves to those things which God has promised to bless. We call this commitment being vertical. You see, God's church was designed to be to the world, the same thing that a lost Boy Scout needed when they're lost in the wilderness. A lost Boy Scout needs a compass to find his way out of the wilderness. Our world is starving for meaning and starving for purpose. A compass, if it's going to port, point to true north, needs to be magnetized. Be sure... The church is God's divine compass, and true north is the glory of God. But, brothers and sisters in Christ who we love, who lead churches in our country, they've forgotten this. And rather than seeking for the one thing all humanity needs, they don't aim for their sameness, they aim for their differences. 
They're not vertical, they're horizontal. How can we reach men? How can we reach women? How can we reach children? Double income parent, uh, double income, no kids, single income. It's not that a vertical church disregards differences. We just don't aim for differences. A church that does not aim for God's glory first but focuses on differences uses man-made, man-centered, man-powered methods that will not see the presence of God and the glory of God. The only reason the church becomes irrelevant today is because it tries so hard to be so relevant to the culture that it becomes conformed into the image of the culture rather than conforming the culture into the image of Christ. If the church walks in the light of God's glory, the world will not be in darkness. Every generation must toe the line of God's glory if we are to see God's power here and across the world. If you are a grandparent with grandchildren, your generation must toe the line of God's glory. If you are a parent with teenage children, you must toe the line of God's glory. If you are a young person in my generation, you must toe the line of God's glory. If you're still in high school, you must toe the line for God's glory and teach your grandchildren to do it. Because if we let go of this line, we lose everything. But if we seek for more of God's presence, he will give it. If we long for more of God's power, he will give it. And we will be compelled to go to the nations and be sure Jesus has told us he is not returning until the gospel proceeds to the ends of the earth. Do you want Jesus to come back? Do not sit by waiting for the chariots to swing low. Go out to the world. Send out others to the world. That is when Christ will come back and you will be compelled to when we have more of God's presence and more of God's power. There is still more, though. We will accomplish God's purpose if we, if we have more of God's praise. Look at verse 6, or excuse me, verse 3. Verse 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Verse 3, Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is the result of more of God's presence, of more of God's power. It will result in more of God's praise in hearts, yet praising God. There are so many good motivations to share God's gospel. What motivates you when you share the gospel? Do you, do you see the urgency of like people are dying and they don't know Jesus? Do you want to be obedient to the command? Like Jesus said, we got to go, so I'm going to go. Here's another good motivation. Sorrow over idolatry. Jesus isn't being worshipped in Canada and he deserves to be worshipped. Jesus isn't being worshipped in Europe and he deserves to be worshipped. Jesus isn't being worshipped in Muslim countries and they, he deserves to be worshipped. Jesus isn't being worshipped in Hindu countries and he deserves to be worshipped. One author said it this way, Missions exists because worship doesn't. I think this principle is true in all aspects of life. We will always share most 
what we enjoy most. Whether it's food or movies or athletes or music. Maybe when you heard me say, what's your motivation when you share the gospel, you just like, like ugh, I don't remember the last time I shared the gospel. There were seasons in my life where my mouth was shut too, and I was fearful, but maybe it's not because of fear that you're not sharing the gospel. Maybe you don't share the gospel. You don't want others to share, and it's a blessing because you don't care to share in the blessing yourself. Maybe you don't care about seeing other people worship Jesus because you don't care about worshiping Jesus yourself. Maybe the reason that you intentionally show up late to service and intentionally leave service early is because you don't care to sing to God. But singing isn't the only way of worship. We worship by serving our families. Maybe you're emotionally distant from your wife but you're emotionally charged when the game's on. Maybe you grumble when the offering plates pass, but at the office, you're just greedy for more money. Now, if you're being convicted, or that's your heart right now, you might be thinking, like, well, that's pretty critical, preacher. I've been coming to church since I've been five years old. I made a profession of faith when I was a child. Who are you? If you're relying on, I said, I believed in Jesus once, you've not reached the summit of Christianity. You've only reached base camp. Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is looking for worshipers. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is looking for worshipers. The summit of the Christian faith is worship. But apathy will kill us. The way we will reach the nations, the way we will see Canada discipled, is only when we have more of God's presence, more of God's power, and it will result in more of God's praise. Do you want it? Allow me to leave you with this thought. Will there be a time where you can say, it's enough. I don't need to long for more of God's glory. I don't need to desire more of God's glory. That's all. Um, you are free to stop craving and hungering for more of God when God says, you can stop. And he has told us, actually. God has told us when it will be enough. And when God says it's enough, uh, you can say it's enough. So there's this verse in Habakkuk 2.14 that I love so dearly and motivates me so greatly when I pray for our church and when I pray for the world. In Habakkuk 2.14, it says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What happens when water fills a given space? It goes into every crevice and every corner and will 
not stop until it reaches the brim and then it will overflow. The Lord said, the knowledge of my glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Have we reached all the nations yet? No. So we must still crave for more of God. Have you reached your fill of worshiping God yet? If you say yes, well, then it's likely because you're filling your heart with idolatry. Take those idols out of your heart and there will be more room and there will always be more until we see Christ return. Church, never stop hungering for more of the glory of God. If you think you've had enough, then you will atrophy. Then you will only have spiritual slop for every meal. When God offers a feast day by day. This is our purpose. You have a stake in it. Let us tow this line now and until Christ returns. To long for more of his presence. To behold more of his power resulting in more and more of his praise.